today in our uh, piece of scripture, we're looking at the Good Samaritan and, and, and the, the teacher of the law asks a question. But what if, what if we could ask Jesus a question? What if we could say, God, what are you doing in Telford? What if we could ask Jesus, what was it like? Here in Luke 10, he says, Jesus, what must I do to, inter- to inherit eternal life? But what would be the question we can ask Jesus? What question would you ask? Maybe it might be, what would it be like to walk on water? Or what was the expression of Lazarus's face when you raised him from the dead? Maybe your question to Jesus would be, what, what have we missed? What have we kind of missed you doing in our daily lives? Or maybe what was it like to see the cosmos come into existence? What about when will you actually return? Or that question of, Lord, what are you doing in Telford? And so from Luke 10, this is the the reading. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you might have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Well, what question would you have asked Jesus if you were in that seat? If you were able to ask the question of someone you might think might be the Messiah, the one who is promised. But the teacher of the law here asks a question that has lasting consequences. What must I do to inherit eternal life what must i do to inherit eternal life well i think for a lot of us maybe that's the wrong question because in fact it must be what must you do jesus for me to inherit eternal life because the teacher of the law here thought he could probably work out his own salvation like so many of us in our culture where we think if we do enough good, then we, we might be good enough to kind of see God's love. Or if we do more, or if we behave in a certain way, we could work out our way to eternal life. 
But that's not the case. Jesus does it all. He was right, though, about inheriting eternal life. It is just given, but it's given as us as heirs. We've got to be part of the family. We've got to be included. We've got to be adopted to inherit it. We've got to come in. So maybe the question for us, we think, oh, man, we've we've fluffed it. We've got it wrong. Come on, teacher of the law. Why don't you ask a better question? And Jesus says, well, what's written in the law? And for us, as we think about that eternal life question, it doesn't come up at all in the Old Testament. The words eternal life do not come up at all in the Old Testament. But what about this law? What does the law say? The Pentateuch, the law given to Moses so that they can be God's people. And it's some of the most important words in the Old Testament, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. The Shema in, in Deuteronomy 8. In, in, in Deuteronomy. But then we've got Leviticus 18 that then says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, they sort of say that these are the words that Jesus said. But here in Luke, it comes from the teacher of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. But it's interesting what Jesus says in response to his answer. He says, you are correct. You will live. Because those words are a way of how they should be living as it is. But to inherit eternal life is the one to go over and beyond, to come to Christ. It's not in just doing the right things, but it's coming to Jesus. But Jesus goes on beyond that and says, well, these are your neighbors. And the teacher of the law asks that, well, well, who is my neighbor? How can I love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind and strength and love my neighbor more than myself if we don't know who our neighbors are? So the whole law, Jesus says in, in Matthew and Mark's gospel, is summed up by these two things. Love God and love people. Love the people around you. It seems easy, doesn't it? It seems really easy. Love God and love people. But it's some of the most difficult things that we do. See, because we're predisposed to love doing things our own way. We're predisposed to love doing things my way your way but definitely not god's way we want to be lords of uh, over our own lives we like to say i want to be in control i want to do whatever i want but also that it's all about us we are predisposed to love ourselves over other people we're hardwired to be selfish anyone that's ever been married might see that that we are so predisposed to love ourselves than to love other people, even our spouses. See, loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength seems easy, tick. But loving your neighbor as yourself is even more difficult. So that question that Jesus or the teacher of the law asked Jesus, who is my neighbor, opens up the question for cosmic consequences. And he answers with the parable that we've had read. A man, an Israelite, someone included into the family of God, stripped, 
beaten and looking dead. I wonder if we would have even stopped to have a glance. Would we stop and go, that is someone who God loves. That is someone who's included in the promise. Let's do something about it. We know that the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is tricky. It's windy, it's rocky, it's hot, it's dry. Jerusalem was where the the temple was, the place of intimacy with God, and Jericho was just that bit on the edge. The temple was where worship and sacrifice and the priests and the Levites worked, and Jericho is where people lived. That road was known for bandits, known for people to be uh, robbed. I wonder where Jesus would have been. Would he have been in Jerusalem or would he have been in Jericho where people were? A priest on the road comes and, and sees the man and crosses on the other side. See, this priest was supposed to be someone who knew the words of God and knew God's heart or should have done. He was there to give worship to God constantly in the temple. He would have been there for sort of a scheduled amount of time. And see, this priest was on his way home. He was on his way to Jericho. He wasn't coming the other way. He had done his bit. He was on his way home. He did the loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. Tick. But did he love his neighbor as himself on the way? So the priest went that way. But sometimes, I don't know about you, but I, I see that priest and I, I go, oh, what a numpty. He's missed it. Come on, you're supposed to be the one that's into all of this stuff. But see, if he had stopped, things would have been tricky for himself. See, because on his way home, he would have been working in the temple. He would have been taking food and resources for his family back home with him from the temple. The priests didn't have other jobs. They got all they needed from the temple, from the other 11 tribes who were there bringing worship offerings to the temple. And so if he had stopped, if he had helped the man, he would have made himself unclean. And he would have made the stuff that he was carrying home unclean. It would have all been lost. So Jesus here is saying to the guy, saying to the teacher of the law, who's better to love yourself or to love someone else? The Levite in charge of the the fabric of the temple, part of the worship leaders, a bit like Harry. Harry could almost be called the Levite but there to to worship, to give offering, to be in charge of what's going on. They didn't have, again, land for themselves, but they survived from the temple. If he helped, he would have lost everything too. That's what it means to follow Jesus, is for us to say no to ourselves and to give to him. But a Samaritan, it tells us. Not just someone who's part of the tribe of Israel, not just an ordinary person, a Samaritan, excluded from being in, excluded from God. They couldn't stand Samaritans. The Jews and the Samaritans had enmity for years and years and years. They were seen as unclean by the Jews. But what did he do? Someone who wasn't included 
helped someone who was. He didn't just cross the road. He should have been the one to just cross the road and carry on without even blinking an eye. But guess what? He didn't have anything to lose. He didn't have a financial situation to, to fall back on. He might not have had the stuff from the temple that would have been unclean. He had nothing to lose and stepped into the breach. So what happened? He bandaged the man's wounds, covered it in oil and wine, something to help the healing process, put him on his donkey, paid for the inn and for him to get well. What would we have done? Would we have risked everything? But Jesus asks the question, which of the three was the neighbor? Which of the three? And by this time, like most of the parables, we have the answer straight away, the Samaritan. But notice the teachers of the law's answer. He didn't say the Samaritan. He couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritans. That's how disgusted and distasteful it was to mention the Samaritans in polite company. And he just said, the one who helped. For us, the one who has nothing to lose. The one who had the right to just walk away. And Jesus says the most amazing words after that. For us, they are quite hard. Go and do likewise. Go and give up everything you have to help someone who doesn't. You who are included, go and help someone who isn't. Even if it means you lose everything. You would lose your place in society. Crossing boundaries to people who are not yours. Those who, which is the most difficult thing to do in the time, living in a subsistence lifestyle, to say, I'm going to give up everything to help you. So I wonder what God's asking us to do. Maybe it's to give up something that we really need to give to someone else. Maybe the Spirit's been saying something like this to you. Maybe you need to allow yourself to be helped. Maybe allow yourself to be helped. So much of our society in the UK is all built up about, oh, we will give to someone else who is in need. But maybe sometimes we are in need. And maybe God's saying to you, it's okay to let someone help you. Maybe the, the second thing God's saying to you is, maybe it's okay to cross the boundaries that seem normal for church. There isn't a normal for church anymore. The normal has gone. Cross the boundaries. Twenty, uh, one, in, one in four people in the whole of the UK have been checking into online churches across the country. One in four. Maybe it's time to cross the boundaries and send a link. Maybe it's time to cross the boundaries and send the Zoom number. Maybe it's all right to check in with someone and cross the boundaries of what seems appropriate for the church to do. Maybe to cross the boundaries and pray for our neighbours and our friends. Even if they don't want prayer, let's pray. And thirdly, why don't we ask the questions of Jesus? If we actually say, God, why don't you show us what's on your heart? Well, Jesus, why is this coronavirus thing still going on? Jesus, what about the next thing? We can ask Jesus the questions and we can expect an answer from the Spirit. So what do you take from the parable of the Good Samaritan? What do you take of it? 
Maybe it's those, those things, accepting help. Maybe it's the crossing boundaries, and maybe it's asking God the questions. Why don't we pray? Holy Spirit, would you in this moment just show us our hearts? Would you reveal to us the state of our hearts? Would we be the person to help or would we really be the person to cross the road and carry on walking? Holy Spirit, do we really love God and love the people around us? So Father, would you come and show our, show our hearts your heart? Just like that priest and Levite that would have cost them everything to help out. Jesus had cost you everything to help us out. Because we weren't included, but now we are. Because you gave up everything for us. Father, would we ask the questions? Would we ask the questions of you of what you're doing in Telford and in Shropshire? Lord, would we ask you what's on your heart for us and for this nation instead of just assuming what it is? Lord, would you stir a passion in your church again for the things that are of you? Lord, would you allow us to, to dream again of what you're doing? Would we ask those questions of what if?